Welcome everyone to episode 31 of Popcorn Peeps, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. In this episode, we will be checking out the 1958 thriller Vertigo, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. The film was based on the French novel Among the Dead, written by Boileau Narsjack. Yeah, that sounds right. Boileau Narsjack. <laughs> Someone in post, help me. Today I am joined by Private Eye, Sarah Alexander. But I'm Carlotta. Sorry. And the otherworldly, Craig Moore. Hey, buddy. The possessed, Christopher McMullen. <laughs> we just checked out Vertigo, guys. What are your first impressions of the film? It's the best thing I've seen in such a long time. So refreshing. So well done. I'm just kidding. It was, it was fucking garbage. Yeah, it was terrible. So bad. I, I don't know if you were watching my, my video when you said this is the greatest thing you've seen in a long time, but I had a definite eyebrow raise. Yeah. It was all right, but my God, there was a lot of wasted time watching this movie. Alfred Hitchcock must have thought he was going to live a very long life and he could justify wasting this much of it. I viewed this as two movies. You had the murder mystery and then the obsessed portion. And that portion I really enjoyed. And that's what I wish the whole movie was versus just this shoehorned murder mystery into this storyline. I agree with you, Sarah. I actually watching the movie about halfway through thought it was over because it was like a logical ending to the film. And then it continued on. And I was like, oh, it must just be like an epilogue, right? Like it's going to be, you know, another five minutes where we find out what happens to this guy. And it kept going. It was like, no, no. Once you've stopped, once you've told the whole story, stop telling the story. I wish they had done a little typewriter thing for those. <laughs> I think that would have been better. And then he was crazy. The end. Here's my thing. First 15 minutes of this movie, really good, really compelling. We set up this character. We got Midge. I like the dynamic going on there. In the last 15 minutes of the movie, we get really interesting stuff going on here. Is it going to be murder-suicide? Is he going to push her off? Who's going to do what? Who's going to survive? Where are we going? Who's losing their marbles here? Where the fuck did that nun come from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this movie wasn't 30 minutes long, wasn't an hour long, wasn't an hour and a half long. And so that whole chunk in the middle was just a fucking steaming pile of boring nonsense that did not need to be there in any capacity other than to just facilitate the beginning and loop it into that end. This should have been a short film. Part of the issue is that there is an upper limit to the amount of suspense that you can build in a movie. And we hit that limit really fast. And then it just kept trying to build suspense. But like my cup is already full of suspense. It can't, you can't cram any more suspense in here. And now I'm just waiting to see how it ends up. I knew this movie was gonna be a yikers when the most entertaining part of the experience was Chris being a fuckhead when I told him to turn the subtitles on and he proceeds to turn them on, increase size 400 times, makes them <laughs> bright neon cyan with a huge purple border, puts it in comic sans and then sits down like nothing's oh. wrong. <laughs> I just wanted him to feel what it feels to me when he just has normal subtitles on, like how obnoxious it is. My eyes were being accosted anytime I looked at what was now the bottom 75% of the screen. It was real good. To be honest with you, you didn't miss too much with what was behind the subtitles. 
It was just a guy driving a car for like 65 minutes. That's what I was going to ask is, was this financed by like the tourist board of San Francisco? <laughs> yeah, surely. <laughs> they did, like, they, I want to go to San Francisco now. It was beautiful. Oh, let's get into it. We've got our film here. It features ex-police detective John Scotty Ferguson, who as a result of his vertigo, lets one of his squad members fall off a building while chasing a suspect on the rooftops of, as you said, San Francisco. He retires, but we get the classic one more job. Would you guys guys think of our lead scotty i liked scotty i typically like james stewart in anything but he is so wholesome but i would have liked to see him more as the dark and twisted scotty we got at the end at the beginning everything was rushed to get us there and i, I don't know i felt like they did him dirty scotty was forgettable to me i didn't think he was that interesting he was very much just a guy along for the ride he was the of course he was the guy taking us along on the ride right but it for really 65 felt minutes. more like the movie was happening around him than his life was happening to him he really feels like this old school version of what's cool he's fashionable he's aloof he's commanding when he needs to be but as a result he just seems so bland by modern standards it's hard to connect with him and resonate with him it doesn't feel like he opens up enough for us to really get in there. I sense he's lonely and maybe that's why he latches on so quickly to Madeline. But the dialogue between them, their romance felt so shallow and uninteresting that didn't care about any of the connection going on there. And as a result, it was so hard to give a shit about Scotty. So when, as Sarah said, when he starts going cuckoo bananas, I'm like, it was boring before, but at least now something interesting is happening. Yeah, you kind of start out with this insecure man who then turns into, like he's, he has a very masculine job. And then all of a sudden that's taken away from him. And next he's talking about like, oh, are women gonna like me now that I have to wear this brace and he can't do his job anymore. And then he does find someone who loves him so that re-energizes him and then it kind of breaks him because it's not at all what he anticipated mitch liked him the whole time you know i legit i legit didn't know it was like superman clark kent when she changed i'm like who's that who's that lady where'd she come <laughs> i'm like immediately <laughs> noticed it was a different actress and chris just that's because you have face blindness or it's the same actress and chris just thought it was a different person <laughs> like they changed her eyebrows that was so weird okay yeah they changed a lot i remember look, looking at her kind of like okay so she he's definitely like got a type it makes sense that he's following this girl around because she looks wow does she ever look a lot like that other actress was what i thought oh good i don't feel so bad because i was like this is not the same lady is it it was so obvious they were the same person and then brie looked it up and she's like oh she's played by the same actress <laughs> Well, it makes sense, right? Do you know what made me angry? Those little wispy things along her hairline. Yeah, what was that? What was going on there? Fashionable at the time, perhaps? Typical man telling a woman how no, to dress, all... how to dye her they hair, were... what shoes to wear. They were Chris. styled. You don't need to like it, Chris. Let her do what she wants. My other point about Scotty was just that I don't like these fucking characters that come into <laughs> someone else's romance and start trying to bone people. <laughs> I had the same issue in Brokeback Mountain. And just because old poor Scotty's living alone and lonely and this woman gives him the time of day, he's like, I'm gonna make out with you. I'm in love with you. Blah, 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 blah. Like, fuck off, bro. And this is your friend from college. Like, you're such a slimy piece of shit. So I usually find a way to disagree with Jordan telling me does and understand romance in these kind of situations but this movie did nothing for me when it came to the romance the love story was was nothing it was just man meets woman they must now be in love like what the hell is this they're two beautiful people with nothing interesting about them of course they must end up together i guess so yeah yeah 
He only trails her for what seems like two days, and then he's just infatuated. I needed more. Sarah, do you not understand love at first sight? I guess not. Not to want to find somebody that looks exactly like them and then abusively change over their whole life. Not that much. But for love at first sight to be communicated to the viewer, you have to do something more than what they provided. Where's your sense of romance? Yeah, yeah I guess. It was it was love at first sight. I mean, when, when we first see her in that restaurant, when she came on the screen i was like what a babe so i get it i thought she was a babe in that scene but i don't know there wasn't enough to me that i felt like at that moment when scotty saw her he was like oh my god like that's the one right i never got that from scotty yeah and i certainly never got it from her like eyes meeting across the room big thunder striking moment i never got that what about Scotty is so compelling that you're going to let this scheme fall apart because you fall in love with him? Everything is so surface level. I love the story elements of her luring him in, but I just, ah. I think the reason why some of this acting and some of the romance between Scotty and Madeline fell, fell flat was partially due to the way the acting was done. It was very similar to On the Waterfront in terms of the actor's presentation of the lines, but the difference is, is On the Waterfront had a really compelling story script and so even though it was that that kind of overacted style it was still compelling it was still engaging i think actually this film would have helped with a more modern more subtle style of acting i thought that the overacting combined with the flat script was almost like a one-two punch that kind of took this out of contention before it even had a chance i think if you compare it to on the waterfront the big difference for me is that in this movie they were trying to make the romance the front and center of the story and this haunting or whatever it was is this backdrop that the romance sits in front of where and on the waterfront it was actually a story about the mob boss and the the corruption and the cops and and the priest trying to break it all down and also this love story was happening to keep us engaged in this other character as well the love story if it was done well could have been a very interesting story it just wasn't it's not even relevant because it's just a factor to get you to the obsessive point like that is what the movie is about is just this obsession he has with her they might not have been in love and i don't think he ever really knew her but he has this idea of her in his head like he loses himself to this he is able to just tack it on to Janet and tries to make her into what he thinks Madeline is like that is what the movie is and that is the part I liked and that is what I wish more of the movie was. This film has deer hunter syndrome where it's a cool idea and then it gets turned into a movie and the idea itself is still cool the idea of the bait and switch and the fake haunting and the murder and, and whatnot but I felt like they had that the same way they had the idea of the Russian roulette scene and then they built around it but everything else was just padding. But I think that is built around the core, which is just the last 40 minutes of this where he goes crazy. Like that is the horror. That is the scary part of this movie is how abusive he gets and how controlling he gets. It wasn't this murder mystery. I think that was just all to get us there. No, that's what I mean though. They had a cool idea for the twist, but had to structure something around it and they just did a terrible job yeah. of building their- Exactly, because I don't buy the twist. I don't buy that he was crazy and obsessed with this woman because they gave me no reason for him to be obsessed with her other than he She's had hot. this fear of falling <laughs> off of things and she fell off of something and like that was what broke him i guess but that, that doesn't explain why he would be obsessed with her i would think he would just like buy a ground floor apartment and never go up a flight <laughs> of stairs 
I think it's just one of those heroes like you get that guys who want to be a savior and they look for these broken women so he's like oh shit like I couldn't do it another failure I've had I let this woman jump off a tower because I couldn't be up there and then that just sits and sits and now he has a second chance can we talk about how this guy's vertigo was only applicable in two instances in this entire film once at the very beginning and once at the very end and it's called vertigo you think it would have a bigger impact than what it did yeah we can definitely talk about that because there was a few scenes where he was doing things that I thought was it was going to be an interesting shot where he's going to trigger his vertigo. And the one that really stands out to me was in that hotel when he went up that big flight of stairs and he went and, you know, check out the hotel room or whatever. I thought that it was going to give us a scene as he went back down the stairs where he was like, whoa, but he just kind of like trotted back down to the main floor. No biggie. I'm fine. That's two different things. What you're describing is his fear of heights. But if, like, if you look up the definition of vertigo, it's, it's a symptom. It's not a condition. It's a sensation that you or the environment is moving or spinning. And I think that relays to this whole situation. Everything's going on around him and he doesn't know what is happening. He doesn't know what's the truth, what's not, that he's being played by his childhood friend. So I think that is accurate. At the beginning, they told us like he was diagnosed with this thing where he can't be up too high. And he even tried to break himself by that, by climbing climbing up on a bunch of chairs and it didn't work and like yeah but the movie isn't called fear of heights no but vertigo is a term often used hand in hand with being up too high and feeling wobbly and and he did that yeah it's called acrophobia you can get it on the ground too just even getting rushing your head but as i read from google dr google it's a sensation <laughs> and i feel like that does capture this movie so i thought that it was aptly named i'm just saying he had acrophobia this movie would be way more interesting if he had arachnophobia and we just a hundred spiders in here. <laughs> That's a different movie. I don't think it's on this list. Same. We gotta spice this up somehow. <laughs> And the only other of our core characters was Midge. And she had such a little bearing on the overall plot. It just seemed like she was only there to convince us as the audience that Scotty is this dreamboat that women want to be with and to allow him to provide some exposition about himself as a character as well as his investigation. I don't know. She was the only character I cared about. I wanted more of her. I was going to say, she. you say that, but she was the only character that I thought was any good. Yeah, I think she was just another tool to show that how obsessive he got over Janet Madeline that he was able to cut her out just so that's why we lost her just because he's losing touch with everything in his old life her purpose was to tether him to that outside world and he's he's gone now that makes sense. That's a, that's a good point. But despite the fact that she, she was his tether, she was just entertaining and she was witty and she had some great lines. And yep. I think she brought some much needed life to an otherwise stale film. And so it was unfortunate that we, we lost her. For the boys listening to the podcast, if you're, if you're wondering who the real girl is, it's the one who helped you out when you were in the hospital and losing your mind and took care mm -hmm. of you. It's Preach. not the hottie who you thought killed herself. <laughs> That doesn't sound right to me. You think I got that one wrong? I don't know. I think I got that one wrong. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll find out. Let's talk about a couple of the other remaining elements. What did you guys think of the plot itself and our payoff at the end? Yeah, like you said, this movie is unfortunately bookended by two very good parts that were about 15 minutes long. And the movie, unfortunately, wasn't half an hour long. Chris and I had a great discussion, though, about how much we like this 1950s automotive design, though. Oh, yeah. And we didn't even miss anything. We chatted for like 20 minutes about, oh, how cool her Jaguar was and how we like the curves yeah. and like we didn't miss any plot. Ooh, that's a nice color of metallic green. Yeah, we had a DeSoto 
Fire Dome, yeah, DeSoto Fire Dome Sportster. And Fire Dome is because it is a hemispherical chamber. That's things I learned while I was watching this movie because it was so fucking dull. <laughs> yeah, while you were Googling things because you're just like, fuck this stupid thing. It was a great time for me to refill my uh, gin and tonic, though, I'll tell you. <laughs> it took you 45 minutes to refill your gin and tonic? Did it a few times. <laughs> I would think so. That's why the end of the movie <laughs> seemed so good to you because you were just blasting. <laughs> like, whoa. We're on the ride now. With my gin, by the way. It's true. <laughs> I could never rewatch this. I think I'd rather tape my eyelids open and stare straight into the sun than have to experience this again. This is by far the worst pacing I've, I think I've ever seen in a movie. And I watched Seven Samurai and that was breakneck by comparison. He tails her forever! Forever! <laughs> and he's so bad at it. I know, he just spends so much, and, and the music is just this 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 music that's supposed to be building up your anxiety, and he's following her, yeah. and he's following her, and you're like, oh my god, is something to happen? He's following her, and then nothing happens, and she stops and goes into a building, and he drives away. I know that we remake movies all the time instead of doing new things, and a lot of the times that's horrible. I think given the right director and screenwriter, you could redo this movie and it would be wicked good. If you took the plot... As long as it's not Michael Bay, because there'd be car chases, explosions, <laughs> the one would turn into a robot and fire off a Sidewinder <laughs> missile. Would be so good. No, I, no, I said a good director. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. Things like this make me think the book that it's based on is probably really good. I mean, if, if the romance is compelling in the novel and they just didn't adapt that properly, I think this could be a banger. Yeah, I think possibly it's another shortcoming of you being illiterate. <laughs> it's in French, guys. Cut me some slack. No, no, that's English. You're, you might be dyslexic guys read like a fiction book that was translated from another language to English? Did it survive well or did it seem kind of jarring because that wasn't what it was natively written in? I don't know if I ever have. There's this guy called Dostoevsky. I've read some of his stuff. Another guy called Kafka. That translates. Well, he said fiction, and since all that's bullshit, I guess it counts. Wait, what? I just wanted to see what kind of reaction I could get out of Chris. Take it easy. <laughs> yeah, I just fully shut down. I'm like, I just well, fucking broke him. He's like, now I have to murder how you feel about it i mean <laughs> it won't seem jarring but then i have no way to fact check that that's what they actually wrote i'm just trusting that yes this is the correct interpretation girl with the dragon tattoo also i read the bible does that count that doesn't hold up so as bad as i think this movie is i really was on the seat of my pants at the end of it though anticipating when they're going up the stairs does he know does he not know that was a lot of fun and i'm like oh my god how's this gonna end for the first time in the whole film i'm like hyper engaged i'm we're sitting there chris is like what the fuck's gonna happen mason's like what the fuck's gonna happen i'm like oh my god i got my hands up to my face and they chose to end it in the worst possible way they could a random nun appears yeah spooks her and she falls off the building. And she jumps off the building. I thought he was going to push her, dude. I thought he was going to push her to get some, like, some psychotic, like, mental break kind of closure where he just gets that cathartic, like, yeah, yeah, and just shoves her out the window. And then I got disappointed by her going, oh, no. <laughs> what goes up must come down. I just think it's so funny that a film that disappointed me and disappointed me finally lifted me up and I had the audacity to expect it was going to do something other than disappoint me. Why do you build me up, buttercup? <laughs> the nun had no reaction either. She's just kind of like, ah, okay. Stay out of my clock, <laughs> yeah. motherfuckers. Is there anything else in the film you'd like to discuss before we move on? Any uh, fun facts or cool points in the movie or parts you thought were particularly dreadful? 
I wanted to talk about Judy versus Madeline. I really liked Judy and I thought that Kim Novak did a really good job playing Judy, especially when my favorite part, when James Stewart starts to get obsessive, just it's always on her face. It's it's not about him and what he's saying, but you just see her reaction. And I thought she was a really great actress for this point. Like the insecurity, like, oh shit, he's trying to make me into this dead woman. Does he like me for me? Because I liked him for him, but now he's dying my hair and telling me it can't matter to you and buying me new clothes and saying it can't make that much difference to you and it's just all on her face like it's not about him it's now that's the horror movie yeah that she's trapped in this world she made for herself yeah and then when she comes out of the bathroom after he's like no put your hair up and just her face is like do you like me now oh spooky i don't know how much of that was like looking at it now and going how could you do this to someone and like it feels like some of that part of that might have been okay back then i i agree with sarah like she was trapped and you know to talk about your vertigo now the world is spiraling out of her control and she has no control over what's happening around her you're making her into be a dead woman she had control she could have booted that man's ass out of her apartment hotel room but she was (laughs) foolish enough to to believe that she could see this man and talk to this man without trouble coming up. Because he's lost it. I think she just got greedy. You pulled off the heist, man. You you were an accessory to a murder. You got paid and you were out. What the fuck are you doing? I don't doing? think so because she tried. Girl, oh my God. She fell in love with the most boring man. This side of the Golden Gate Bridge. She fell in love with the victim. I know. Her cake and eat it too. Never fall in love with the mark, right? Right, Sarah? Never fall in love with the It's a good policy. Hitman's Handbook, rule one. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone else get confused about like who or what went off the roof? I thought it was a dummy. The first time? <laughs> it was the, the real dead Madeline. Oh, I thought it was a dummy. Okay, good. No, he throws his wife off. This was, he picked a lookalike to his wife so he could break his wife's neck, throw her off, and pretend this fabricated woman was the one who died. Chris, I didn't realize it until just this. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> oh, Chris, you just explained it. Good. I, I feel I feel a lot less dumb for not getting that before. Because I thought it was a plot hole. And I was like, how did this man get away like with the priest and everybody climbing up on a ladder? Okay. And they had to call 911. And like, you got some fucking idiot paramedic who's like, <laughs> oh, this, this bag of straw has no pulse. Like... <laughs> I didn't understand. I know. That's, I was trying to work it out. Like, did he kill her? Like, when Jimmy Stewart was, like, unconscious, did he swap the dummy for the dead wife? What's Then I realized at some point that it was... The, uh, yeah. I, it actually was the wife that was... I realized it about, <laughs> uh, well, 15 seconds ago. I feel a lot less stupid than I did 15 seconds ago. I just thought it was a plot hole, man. Here, Jordan and I, big brains. I think I had to tell Jordan. You did not. What, what happened was, is... <laughs> <laughs> when they were doing the court proceedings and they're talking about doing the autopsy, I'm like, the autopsy? What, what would that have been like? And then I'm like, oh, that's what happened. And I figured it out at that point. I didn't I didn't get it. I, was just, I thought it was a plot hole. The way I remembered it is I had to explain it to you. <laughs> uh, other than that, some of my favorite bits were Scotty's head falling into the metaverse towards the end of the film with that psychedelic background. Oh, and then like the animation for no reason. <laughs> yeah. And then the red, the black and like the red. It was harsh. <laughs> it made me think of like 60s psychedelic films. Yeah, there's some really interesting use of color in this movie. I don't know if you guys noticed, but. Oh, I loved it. 
um, you know, different characters had different themes of colors. And one of the more interesting uses of that was when they had Judy and her color was green, right? And the, the longer the story went on, the more purple was mixed into Judy's scenes as she turned more and more turned back into Madeline. It was very interesting. I did not notice that. What would you say? Some sort of like sim- symbolism. Well, that's icing on the cake, but the problem was is there was no cake, so it was just icing literally on a shit sandwich. And it wasn't even icing, it was just fondant. Like, when you have a great movie and these little details make it that much better, it doesn't work if the baseline product is fucking tragic. Yeah, I agree. It was a neat idea, executed not well enough to save the film. Yeah, I thought that counts. I, now I'm doubting all Hitchcock films. Uh, Sarah, you're the little bit of the Hitchcock aficionado with your box set. Where does this <laughs> fall in his bibliography? Is this one of his earlier ones? I think Psycho came out after this. Yeah, because Psycho was good. And so did North by Northwest. Yeah, I think we get to see that later, right? But this is considered like his best work. And this movie has taken the top spot for the number one film ever made on a lot of lists, bumping Citizen Kane. Holy sh... How can that possibly be That's true? That's dumbfounded for me to hear. <laughs> Boomers be off their meds, man. When it came out, it was panned. Nobody went to see it. He spoke out, said he wished he never casted Kim Novak. Jimmy Stewart was too old. And that American audience just couldn't understand this type of movie i hate that i hate that so much when creators are like you don't understand how brilliant i am you're too stupid because people were calling out about the logic like they had to suspend a lot of their logic to try and make sense of this film and he says well that's moronic logic that you think that there's anything like it's art it's not supposed to be like there's not a plot hole per se you just have to if you're telling me a story and you (laughs) You have to tell me that I have to force myself to believe your story, to understand your story. You're bad at telling stories. But I think you have to force yourself to believe that it might not be of this plane of logic where I don't, I'm making a stretch here. But anyway, it was panned when it came out and it's only recently sure. that it started to move up in all of these best of lists. It's because people are hopping on the hype train and the tastemakers are trying to tell you that they're cultured and savvy and they liked it all along and they're just full of shit. Yeah. Yeah, NFTs are popular right now too. I'm still not going to one. I'm going to make some. Of the vertical thing. <laughs> yeah, I made one of my cat. I, I decided that I'm going to make NFTs of my cat and sell them so he can pay his own vet uh- bills. <laughs> Get a job, you slacker. (laughs) Other than that, I thought the music was pretty good. It was atmospheric, but it did have a lot of swells. It did have a lot of exciting moments. It built this sense of wonder, which really fit the idea of there was this disgruntled, otherworldly presence lurking underneath the surface inside the body of Madeline. And I thought it did a good job. I thought it was one of the stronger parts of the film. Not necessarily that it had a lot of competition, but it was about an hour or so long. And a lot of the other older films have like 15 minute, 20 minute OSTs. So listening to it, it had an... It had enough room to introduce some variety and do some cool stuff, and I was happy with it. I listened to it today, and I actually really liked it. And my comments were that I liked it went from eerie to romantic, and then it did have kind of a dizzy effect in some parts. Like, you could feel it was scrambled, or it gave a scrambling effect. Yeah, there is some dissonance introduced to those more chaotic, otherworldly, different plane-style scenes. Yeah. The music was definitely the least offensive part of this movie. (laughs) Anyone else have anything they want to bring up before we rank this bad boy? Let's go to San Francisco. This is the first time computer graphic were used in a film. That was neat. We did read that stat too. At the beginning, all the neat... Uh, I thought that was 
was neat. Yeah, so maybe that's why it's on this list. It was cool, but it felt like a stylistic mismatch for what they were going for. That kind of like, well, I guess in 2022, that low-tech aesthetic feels like it works well in something like Blade Runner or some dystopian cyberpunk style stuff. But in this kind of murder slash maybe spiritual style movie, it felt very kind of detached, but eh, it was jarring. And I guess maybe that was part of the point. I'm not sure. This movie started acting like it was a paranormal, spooky ghost movie. And then it let me down by having people be the monsters. That was so fucking boring. For almost an hour, they had me suspecting that there was going to be a ghost or something. And then it was just some asshole who yeah, didn't like yeah, his that's wife. Good. That's a good assessment. Yeah. The best Scooby-Doo's <laughs> are the ones where there's real monsters. I don't like that's true. <laughs> <laughs> in the case of Scooby-Doo, sure. But I did actually think the twist here was interesting and I liked the reversal and I liked, I liked where we went with it. I thought it was clever. But anyway, if you're following along with the YouTube video, there's a link at the top of the description to check out where we've placed the films we've seen so far. But without further ado, Sarah, where are you going to put Vertigo amongst the 30 films we've seen so far? This one was tricksy for me. I, my notes are beautifully shot. Love costuming. I loved the cinematography. Those fog filters were put on and it got hazy. I thought that gave a really nice aesthetic to it. I loved the obsessive plot. I just hated the first half of this movie. That could be cut out and I just have a stalker. I would love it. So I'm putting it kind of mid-bottom of my list at 1T1 between All the President's Men and Braveheart. I think the reason that it's not closer to the bottom for me is it's the same things that Sarah said. This had some cool shit in it, but it was just poorly executed. I don't know if it's because it was he hadn't found his stride yet, but maybe we just find out that when we watch more of the Alfred Hitchcocks, they also suck. So I ended up putting this in spot number 26. Up is better than this in my estimation, but it is better than all the president's <laughs> men. <laughs> this movie was a long, boring car ride to nowhere. I didn't enjoy it. I will never watch it again. I spent most of my time watching this movie, wishing it had already ended. I'm placing it in 26th below Pan's Labyrinth and above Seven Samurai, and may God have mercy <laughs> on its soul. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm going to follow in your footsteps. I'm also going to put it below Pan's Labyrinth. However, that puts it in 31st place. The worst movie I have seen so far as a part of Popcorn Peeps. Oof. This movie had a couple cool ideas, but overall, I hated it. And I wish I could get my two hours back. <laughs> okay, it's fine. It's nothing's worse. Well, there's only one thing worse than Deer Hunter. Is this the first time that Jordan has placed a film and Chris hasn't said, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, he said, mm, I get it. <laughs> like he wanted it as a reason. Okay. Just it's, grudgingly it's agrees. Still, it's not worse than Deer Hunter. Come on. It's, it like, is worse than Deer Hunter. Of course it is. <laughs> Obviously it is. No, it's, it's not. fucking garbage. No, Deer Hunter was, I wanted to. I, I would rather rewatch a video shots. cassette of my own birth than experience yeah. <laughs> this film again. I will watch anything. A Serbian film. What else is horrendous? <laughs> Human centipede. I don't care. Anything. <laughs> this movie was bad. It was not good. I would sit in front of a TV, turn it off for two Two hours and eight minutes and call it spot 30th on our list. <laughs> Chris, what are we going to be watching in episode 32 of Popcorn Peeps? We are going to be watching 2000's Gladiator. To the arena! Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm hyped. <laughs> Let's go. I haven't seen Gladiator since probably the early 2010s, so I'm super hyped for a rewatch. I've never seen it. I know I know about the are you entertained? Are you not entertained? That's it. Gladiator's good. It's got some great moments in it. I like it a lot. Now that said, I haven't seen it in a long time. I haven't seen it in probably nearly, I don't know, 15 years or so. I think it's my number one movie on a good day if someone were to ask me, so I'm hyped. I hope I can find some things that will make you feel bad about yourself for liking it like you did for Ghostbusters. (laughs) Chris, where can our audience watch Gladiator? Well, if you are one of the eight people that subscribe to Paramount Plus, you can watch it with no extra cost. Chris, do we subscribe to Paramount Plus? No, Jordan, I do not. Um, (laughs) So that leaves you with renting it from the usual suspects. Blockbuster. Play, Cineplex, Microsoft, (laughs) Amazon. Apple TV. I'd like to extend a special thank you to those who support us on Patreon.com. If you would like to support the show, there's a link at the top of the description and on PopcornPeeps.com. But without further ado, special thank you to Travis Laporte, Jim Walmsley, Ryan Saarinen, Frank Costa, Sarah Renier, Craig Lewis, Tyler Laporte, Dildo, and <laughs> Erica Wilson. Thank you so much, everyone. Really appreciate it. We'll see you in the next episode. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Sorry for making you watch this movie. Yeah, my, our bad, guys. <laughs> we got baited. <laughs> this one's on us. Hey, we didn't make the list. Bye, everybody.